Jim, this is Donna. Boy, we've really been swamped today. Come sit. We should be closing about... Sit. I'll meet you in... Oh, get down. Welcome to 200 Today, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. Today we are going to be coming to you with uh, a, a season four episode. Season four, episode two, Trouble in Chapter 17. Yes. But before we get to that, Epi, I see a big flashing red light on our answering machine. Oh, well then we should check out what our messages are. <laughs> It's 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 funny to have an answering machine where the light actually gets physically larger as you get more messages. Right. It's yeah. a, it's an interesting design, but one I appreciate. <laughs> we actually have someone who comes in and swaps out because they're they're old incandescent light bulbs, so mm-hmm. just swaps out larger and larger. <laughs> Do we get bulbs. the cartoonishly large? <laughs> yeah. Edison bulb flashing red. He's like, oh, I guess we should answer these. It's been a while. It has been a while. We've we've. Uh, if you're a recent listener, we a- appreciate getting feedback and we do see it and then every so often when there's a critical mass that we have received we do one Mm. of these answering machine um segments to talk about it and so it has been a while and we've received a critical mass so here we go first off a big thank you to patron brian bernson who sent us some oh god i'm too old I was going to say who hooked us up with some drip, but I don't think that's how you use drip. Who drip, dripped us out? I don't know what the verb form of, of having you, drip is. I'm, I'm out of this. I have no <laughs> idea. Swag? That's what I would just Yeah, no, we got, it. It, it's, it's, it's swag. Yeah. But it's also very, the look, it's a good look. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Epi, drip yeah. refers to looking good. <laughs> okay. Perhaps having style. That I can see why that would be the case then. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Brian sent us some incredible replica uh, shooting jackets. Yeah. They are using a, a period jacket that existed at the time. It's mm-hmm. a swingster jacket. It's a big puffy blue jacket. And then it has yeah. been replicated to look like ones that are in photos of them being on set for the Rockford Files. Um, anyway, they're very cool. They have a Rockford Files patch on the sleeve. They're extremely yeah. warm. Surprisingly warm, actually. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And it was just a very cool thing to receive. So thank you, Brian. We we uh, mentioned him in our gumshoe read, but um, make sure to check out facebook.com slash Brian, uh, Brian with an A, Rockford Files, all one word. Uh, where he drives his tribute Firebird around to different shooting locations and uh, <laughs> awesome. kind of does like then and now of uh, of, of various locations. Um, so that was very cool. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I've worn mine around town. I have. Uh, You've been dripped out. I've been dripped out. Yeah. Frustratingly, nobody has commented on it yet, uh, aside from like my wife, who <laughs> who thought it was quite nice, and I looked mm-hmm. dapper in it. That's the terminology that Dap- I remember mm-hmm. using. But uh, yeah, it's it's a very comfortable and warm jacket, and I just it just feels kind of it's very uh, I don't want to say subtle because that's not the right term, but like <laughs> it is bright blue. <laughs> it is bright blue, but no, I meant just like the so the patch on the side it oh, goes yeah. down the, mm-hmm. the whole length of the arm, and it just it just says Rockford Files. And I think if you don't know what the Rockford Files are, that it means literally nothing to mm-hmm. you. Uh, and if you do know, if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. like our shirts. 
Yeah, it's like our shirts. Oh, we should talk about it. We should mention the shirts. <laughs> well, by the time this goes out, I think our pre-order window will be, we'll be closed. Done. So okay, yeah, thank you yeah. to everyone who ordered a shirt. They are in process. Nice. To the best of my forecasting knowledge, due yeah. to the <laughs> gap from when we record to when we air these episodes. Moving on, we've received some very nice notes from listeners who've re- mm-hmm. recently found the show. Uh, always appreciate those, sometimes in email and sometimes in uh, the form of a five-star review. Oh, thanks. Over at Apple Podcasts. That is my favorite quantity of stars. <laughs> R. Lindsay 58 says, I love how much these guys love the show. They point out excellent acting, writing, and directing, which helps one appreciate the show even more. So I thought that was yeah. a very nice review. And seeing how we receive about one review a year, I figured I'd yeah. include it here. That's a good one for 2023. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, if you happen to feel uh, feel moved to go over to Apple Podcasts and, and leave a review uh, with stars, it helps other people find the show helps rankings, that kind of stuff. So yeah. I'm, I'm told, I'm told. Such is the algorithm. Getting to some feedback on episodes regarding our episode 109, A Fast Count. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll remember that there was a ongoing bit that we talked about where whenever Jim was trying to leave the, so it was the, the um, boxing manager, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever he's trying to leave that guy's office, the door like he'd have trouble right. with the door handle. Yeah, and yeah. We kind of called it out and speculated about it being a bit and how it like related to some of the dynamics going on with the actors. Well, um, patron Bill Anderson tells us that uh, regarding the door, the story I heard was one of an Abbott and Costello like situation. What would happen is the door would open just like it was supposed to in every walkthrough. No issues whatsoever. And always get stuck when the cameras rolled. <laughs> So what you're hearing is the rare, and I truly mean rare, James Garner stuck to the script, ad-libbed line. Wow. Wow, yeah. Yeah, because we do know that he likes, he's like, we pay writers to write it, Mm -hmm. so let's read what they wrote. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's exciting. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, you know, sometimes we speculate about whether something was was staged in the sense of, you know, was constructed as part of the show um, versus if it just happened and they just rolled with it. Yeah. As someone who used to work in live theater, uh, this is a thing. Uh, Things work every single time you do them until opening night. Yeah. Um, And also actors forget how to open doors. As soon as an actor walks on the stage, they forget that you have to turn a doorknob in order to open the door. So you have to build all the doors on stage with um, push uh, latches, like ones that oh. yeah, you can just push and pull closed without having to turn the knob. Um, nice. Just, just in case. Just in case. Just in case. Uh, so yeah, fun little tidbit there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also like, it is a danger of reading too closely into something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but... I would say even under that danger, the final product is the final product and it has meaning separate from intent, right? right? Like death of the author and all that doesn't matter. Like this is, uh, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love both the read and how it plays into the dynamic and also the fact that that is not true. <laughs> it was not a, a thing that anyone intended. Happy accident. Speaking to the same episode, uh, Dave Otterson says, um, 
regarding the cop who sits down at the typewriter during the arrest. Because I think we were like, like, what is he typing uh, when they arrest Maury? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, now it's coming back to me. Yes. <laughs> so Dave says, I think he's transcribing the bribe letter so they can check if it was typed on Maury's machine by looking oh. for a common unevenness in the individual typed characters. That would make sense. That would make sense. I don't know if there's any text to that. Like maybe if you can see what he's typing, maybe he's looking at the letter or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that makes much more sense than anything we came up with, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he agrees that the percentage confusion gag is good. And it reminds him of a Maverick TV movie they made that he. So, Dave, we've talked to him a couple of times. Uh, he has audio tapes of some of the show because when he was a kid, he would record it on oh, audio yeah. tape. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is fantastic. Awesome. Um, so he says, I audio cassette taped the Ma- this Maverick movie at the time. So he's listened to it, but only watched it once when it aired. They're dividing up the spoils of some con or investment and uh, Garner, uh, Brett Maverick, is ex- exasperated that the promise cuts exceed 100 <laughs> percent. So <laughs> when we do our eventual Maverick follow up uh, yeah. show, we can keep an eye out for that. We have a lot of conversation for for our show uh, surrounding the three Megan Doherty episodes. Oh, I, I will hit some of the high points here. We mentioned in one of them that Jordan Bockelman not Brockelman had yeah. uh, left some comments about the nature of Jim and Megan's relationship. And then we would talk about it at a later time. So now is later. Now is that time regarding the movie, uh, our episode, our episode one twelve, punishment and crime. He said, it's obvious to me that Jim has a type, all his real serious love interests seem to be highly educated, independent working women who are all very similar to Jim. The other great love interests in the series, like Claire Prescott from Claire and Valerie Pointer from Guilt, seem to be manipulative and abusive towards Jim. Uh, And in case of Claire, perhaps the relationship was more of a con than anything else. What I'm getting at is for episodic television that stretched over six years and with eight TV movies from decades later, Jim's MO when it came to serious relationships remains very consistent, which I appreciate. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it when um, in the brief amount of time that we (laughs) set up this episode. Uh, between us when we did the scheduling, right? Because I, I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll choose the next episode. And then, uh, the whole week went by and it was like the day of, and I was like, Oh, let's do this one. Uh, but I remember thinking to myself, I, I could really use, uh, a Beth episode, which we, we aren't doing today, uh, because we've spent so much time in this other relationship of Jim's. Mm-hmm. That that I it's not that I you can't forget Beth, but like it would be nice to go back again because we yeah. did a Beth episode recently and then the Megan episode. So to do another yeah. Beth episode to kind of bracket it might be might yeah. be interesting. But there is like there's a consistency there. Uh, I, I think we talked about like she might have she was an attempt at like a replacement. That's kind of the like the way that it's framed since yeah. since um uh. Gretchen Corbett had to leave the show. Right, yeah. right. That like we get like Megan as like the love interest and we get um Coop as the legal like yeah. the legal eagle who can help Jim out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think in that way, um, well, I think that is like, you know, a surface read and maybe that was the intention, but I think as we got into Megan is not best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in in fact to its benefit, like this is a much more um a much deeper look at one of Jim's relationships, which is yeah. pertinent to um, a follow-up comment from from Jordan um, from our episode 115, Love is the Word. 
where he says, just to clarify, the Jim-Megan relationship is satisfying for me as a viewer because we see it begin. We see them fall in love. We see them struggle and reconcile. We see the relationship end. Now, of course, the relationship continues beyond this episode. But as you both said, this feels like a conclusion, which I find satisfying. We don't see these same beats with Jim and Beth, but that's satisfying in other ways. Uh, We see them going back and forth, not together personally, but not really apart. and so what we see with Jim and Beth, we don't see with Jim and Megan and vice versa. And I think some some insightful stuff here. I think the heartbreak that we see in Love is the Word is proof of Jim's true love for Megan. And while we don't really see any heartbreak between Jim and Beth, what Beth recalls to Jim in A Portrait of Elizabeth about how she felt about him and how she tried to win him over yeah. uh, sounds like heartbreak to me. She was looking for commitment from Jim, same as Megan was. Unfortunately, it was not there for either of them to find. Um, and then this conversation, this, so this was a comment on our Patreon post for the episode. And then we have some other, um, patrons chiming in with thoughts, uh, from there as well. So I'm not going to read them all here. It's a good discussion. Um, and all of our main episodes are cross posted from our main website feed to the Patreon and our public so that even if you're not a patron, you can see these discussions. Cool. Yeah. So I think, you know, looking at kind of uh, closing our chapter, turning the last page on our discussion about their relationship as a relationship. Um, I feel like that's a good place to leave it. <laughs> yeah. I want to just say that um, not specifically about that, but like uh, the those past three episodes have been um, very, uh, I say three episodes, but they're five. They're right. five episodes. <laughs> but the, the past, they were three episodes that we did has shown a, uh, a side and of the whole uh, Jim's story that mm-hmm. we hadn't explored in the, I don't know how many years we've been at this yet. <laughs> uh, because, you know, cause we've been jumping around at random. Right. Uh, and we're, I think we're past the halfway point now oh, yeah, uh, yeah. for, for episodes. Uh, but the fact that we just happened to not land on any of these until now mm-hmm. is interesting. And I, I, it just makes me wonder, are there other like little bits and bobs? Uh, yeah, little little cycles that that we've missed. Yeah, that we haven't gotten to yet because of our scattershot approach. Um, I mean, obviously that window closes dramatically as as we as we go on here, but uh, yeah. it's still fun to to have this whole uh, this whole new world to explore. Yeah, it does. It, it does feel a little bit like we got to go off on a little journey. Yeah. And now yeah. we're going to come back and now we're going to be a little more informed. Like this even makes me, you know, think about some of our older episodes we've done a little differently. Like, like how in, um, uh, lions, tigers, monkeys, and dogs, how yeah. Jim's relationship with, um, the Lauren Bacall character, how that both fits into this kind of rubric of like yes. the kinds of people that Jim is attracted to, the kinds of people he forms deep relationships with. But it it also makes sense that that doesn't go any farther than it does. Yeah. And even like the, I forget her name, but the, the, the character from, uh, 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 South by Southeast, um, where oh, yeah. he goes to Mexico and then there's the, like, she's basically an independently wealthy woman and she's right. like leaving her like husband who's trying to kill, who tries to poison her or whatever. And then, Jim and her are clearly attracted to each other, but it's not going to work out. Yeah, yeah. It's the class divide. That, right. That, the class divide yeah. is so strong. And I think yeah. in that episode, we talk about that, but also reflecting on 
where where his long-term relationships do land it's kind of like right there seems to be other reasons as well why that's <laughs> yeah not going to go anywhere <laughs> so it, it informs a lot of the other stuff we, we we see in the show which is great and then a different kind of comment uh regarding black mirror uh listener eli sent us an email um great episodes very much enjoyed the podcast thank you eli thank you uh there's a couple of thoughts they make a big deal out of no one is going to be describing anyone to megan etc really Without knowing Squadoosh about what a non-sighted person can sense, I'd go out on a limb and say someone who's walked into her office and sat a couple feet away for almost a couple years must leave some impression. Are they taller or shorter? Do they leave a certain dent in the couch? How heavy are their footsteps? I'm not saying she could pick them out of a lineup, but there's got to be some process of elimination. I mean, I would assume. <laughs> what was the quantity of, of knowledge? <laughs> Squadoosh. A squidoosh. Yeah, I too have no squidoosh. <laughs> but the, but the thing is, is like I wouldn't trust Billings to be able to right to to, to get that yeah. information in a uh, in a helpful manner. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also I think there's there's an element of like that's not the story. Right. I mean, I agree. I'm sure that there is like if you wanted to sit down and you know what about this person would differentiate them, mm-hmm. right? And then maybe you have that conversation with. Megan as the expert saying, oh, here's what I can tell. Like, here's how I can yeah. help you. Right. But she doesn't want to help. First of all, mm-hmm. this is all still in the lead up or this is all uh, in the shadow of her finally agreeing to do the handwriting analysis thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that. And then there's also, I think, the narrative utility or the narrative p- part of it where where it's a declarative statement about her making her way through the world as an independent person, but then having but hitting these all these little, you know, as we as we talked about, like these ableist areas of like people assuming she can do X or assuming right. that if that they can say Y and have it make, you know, have it be relevant to her. I think this is kind of the most pointed part of that being like there are moments that she has to deal with this kind of stuff. And here's another one of them. Yeah, I'm trying to think about the uh, fundamental scam that the, the killer was pulling there mm-hmm. and whether or not the fact that she was blind would have made it hmm. i think he wants to be identified right because right. that way he can yeah so that doesn't i mean i think i'm not sure if there's really text either way on this but the, the my my impression was not that he intentionally left charlie alive to identify him i think right it seems like he tried to kill him and just didn't quite yeah yeah make it all the way <laughs> yeah oh right yes i forgot that that's that the other person involved in all this hmm. is poor charlie <laughs> well, speaking of poor Charlie, uh, oh, the yeah. comment continues. Doesn't Jim know anyone tougher than Charlie? <laughs> he was in the joint with Gandhi. There must be other people say half as tough as Gandhi that he could call for muscle. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Uh, uh, Charlie feels like, so Jim has a... Um... Seems kind of like a charity case almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got like a soft spot for strays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, as annoyed as he is with them, like I could see Jim being like, Charlie needs work. Let's give mm-hmm. Charlie some work here. Uh, but yeah, I, I also agree that Jim has to know some tougher. Yeah. Ones. And also like it, Charlie's plenty big. Like this <laughs> absolutely could just be uh, Charlie just says bad luck with Jim. Right, right. Maybe if Charlie just didn't end up in these situations where, like, the mob was trying to... Yeah. Because they're both... That's both of the ones where he gets messed up. Yeah. This guy's a mob assassin. Right. And the right. other one is when Jim gets jumped going to talk to the garment... Yeah. The garment union mob guy. So it's like, 
Maybe Charlie just needs to stay away from organized crime. <laughs> Stick to the small, small potato stuff. A Charlie spinoff would be nice. Just the, just like the, the, the five minutes. <laughs> it's just a bunch of five minute episodes where mm-hmm. he gets hired to do something. And then when he gets waylaid, and, right. and that's it. like you just get that like the conversation in the car or he's talking about his new uh, double breasted suit, you know, and then bam. OK, yeah. next next episode the misadventures of charlie yeah yeah and finally um i didn't remember that this episode has my favorite angel line also don't know if he ever repeats it but the line i'm in for a painless two percent is something (laughs) i've tried to get into ordinary conversation never succeeded but not giving up that's a good one that is a uh worthy endeavor and i will attempt to do that as well i'm in for a painless two percent yeah so yeah that's uh Everything that's that's on our answering machine right now. So these comments have, you know, are mostly from Patreon and from our email. Um, we don't really check Twitter anymore. I oh, stopped yeah. using Twitter. I think you stopped using Twitter. Yeah. We do have the show account that has an automatic um, automatically sends out when we have a new episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I see no reason to stop keeping right. that up for people who are still on Twitter. But uh, we're not. And I don't check that account anymore, really. Uh so if you've been tweeting at us, I'm sorry. Now that you can look at the Twitter algorithm source code, you can see that they're <laughs> specifically calling out 200 a day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> That's topical for the, the moment we're recording. It will not be topical. <laughs> As with anything in the last six months, Twitter could very well not exist by the time this comes out. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I don't know if we really have, I don't think there's really a huge benefit in running some other social media account for the show, mm-hmm. but if you want to get in touch with us, we have reactivated the contact form on our website um, for a while. We're getting lots of spam, but since I turned it back on, it seems to be okay. So at 200aday.fireside.fm, there's a contact link, and then there's a form that you can send us a, a, um, a message there. You can leave comments on individual episodes at the website. You can email us at 200adaypodcast at gmail.com. And of course, if you are a patron, you can leave comments um, on our post at Patreon. Yeah. That's how to, that's how to get, our, get this light blinking. As always, thanks everyone for listening yeah. and for reaching out with your comments. They're always delightful for us to behold. I, I am a fan of the, the answering machine segment. Now that we've interrupted our usual uh, rhythm, uh, this is this is around the moment where you ask me why I chose this episode. <laughs> Indeed. Epi, why did you choose this episode? As a reminder, we are talking about Season 4, Episode 2, Trouble, in Chapter 17. Well, as I mentioned during the answering machine thing, we, we kind of came down to the wire before we had an episode chosen. And I literally just looked at what ones we hadn't watched uh, that had been written by Juanita Bartlett. Hmm. Because I was just in the mood for a Juanita uh, mm-hmm. episode and uh, a Bartlisode. A Bartlisode. Uh, I know. I was just like, Bart- Bartlisode. Mm. Yeah. So I t- sent it to you. You responded with, I think I remember that being one of the good ones. Or no, wait. What did- I, th- I think I said, like pretty much every single episode, I vaguely <laughs> remember it as being a good one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, the moment I read that, I thought, yeah, no, I remember this one being a good one, too. So, yeah. There we go. Well, this one is, as determined, written by Juanita Bartlett and directed by William Ward, a prolific director. So I took a quick look. After we we talk about this episode, we have six Juanita Bartlett written episodes left. I think with the full writing credit, I think not counting ones where she, where it's like teleplay by or whatever. 
Yeah. Uh, plus, the last two movies are both her scripts. Oh, that's exciting. Also, after we finish this episode, we have six William Ward episodes left. Is that a coincidence? It, it is a coincidence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there's at least one one other episode where she wrote it and he directed it. So I'm just saying we're closing in on yeah. um, some of our, <laughs> our, our big guns here. Um, and just a, a side note, included with our... Uh, awesome jackets were some um some photos uh yeah and at least i don't know if we got the same ones but uh at least the one that i received features william ward uh on location with i think (laughs) jim's stunt double Um, yeah it's uh it's pretty cool so again uh, big ups to uh brian for hooking us up um but yeah considering how much uh answering machine we had i think we can go ahead and get right into our preview montage we know our writer we know our director let's get going yeah. Uh, so I have I just three points here. Uh, mm. You're going to deny that you're her lover, which is great. We know that Jim's going to be uh, caught up in some kind of romantic thing. Uh, specifically, it feels very much like Jim himself is not <laughs> mm-hmm. romantically attached to what's going on and is going to be mistaken for it. Uh, we get a good stakes line where he's murder one. We know that like there's a murder happening, but I think like the key to this whole opening montage uh, is that scream at the end. And I, as a horror aficionado, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what is her name? Claudette Nevins. Mm-hmm. She's got some pipes. She can, she can scream. She could do a good bone chilling scream. So I had four points on this. I can't oh. believe you missed the perhaps the most important one, which is that we see that Jim gets shot in the taco. You know, I don't know what, when that came up in the episode, (laughs) I was surprised by it. It was in the preview montage. I must've been like typing something up or like, I must've missed that in the, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know if I would have made that choice. I don't know if I would have put that in the preview. (laughs) I mean, certainly it would draw me in. I would absolutely watch that episode where, where his taco gets shot, but also, I really enjoyed the shocking moment when it <laughs> happened. <laughs> 200 a Day is a 100% listener-supported show, thanks to our patrons. In addition to our gratitude and editing access to our 200 Files Files spreadsheet, patrons receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. Our bonus Just Chatting podcast about media, work, and life. We expend special thanks to our Gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Brian Burnson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Check out facebook.com slash Brian Rockford Files. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic at the Journey of an Aesthete podcast. And Paul Townend recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color. You can find these shows wherever you get your podcasts. Dale Norwood wrote a book. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy, published by the University of Chicago Press. Find Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, wherever good books are sold. Chuck from whatyourreading.com. Shane Liebling has all of your online dice rolling needs sorted at his site rollforyear.party. And check out Jay Adon's amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com. In addition, thanks to Andre Apignani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Jabba Peachbug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Dale Church, and Colleen Kelly. And finally, special appreciation for our detective-level patrons. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenner at Antenner on Twitter, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam 
at Richard Haddam. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 today to see if becoming a patron is right for you. So we start off our episode with our credits playing over Jim cruising to the Beverly Sherwin Hotel in the Firebird. And we hear a voiceover of uh, a, a reading slash lecture um, as Jim heads to a ballroom that is full of full of women who are there to see Anne Louise Clement, an author and uh, lecturer, and is giving this uh, as the sign says femininity forum. <laughs> we see <laughs> there's some really good comedic staging here where we see Jim's head just pop up into this room that's completely <laughs> full of uh, of women as the author as Anne Louise uh is saying it changed my life and saved my marriage like head, Jim's head <laughs> pops up I don't know I thought that was very funny yeah so this this book is called Forever Feminine and we learn about the book and the author through some Q and a with, uh, uh, with someone in the audience as Jim finds a seat. And then kind of, uh, we, we cut back and forth to see his reactions to various lines. This is a book about, uh, finding happiness as a woman. Uh, this questioner asks, as my friend is concerned because mm. your book sounds like you're saying that women are inferior to men. And Louis says, you will not find that word inferior anywhere in the book. So she reads out a the questioner reads out a quote about saying that women are subject to men. Yes, subject to, but not inferior to. <laughs> and we see Jim look a little uncomfortable um, as this conversation is playing out. There's going to be some really good Jim eye rolls throughout mm. this episode. This is a good, good workout for the old eyeballs. So the line here. So this is uh, 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 the thesis, the through line of this book and of this author's work is... Um, it's, it's kind of an anti-feminist yeah. position of welcoming your role as a woman is key to being happy, fulfill your husband, fulfill yourself, fulfill your destiny. Mm-hmm. Before I accepted these, I was a, I was a nag. I was a shrew, like, you know, all these like negative things. Um, and then it, which ends with, I even considered going to a psychiatrist, <laughs> which gets like a, like a boo. Yeah. <laughs> like, from the crowd it's uh okay i see where we're at here this is a good contrast to our megan doherty yes. episodes or you know like mm-hmm. uh but yeah yeah she describes there's like a key thing or a key kind of i guess almost marketing point about the book as she talks about everything changed when i accepted my role or whatever and started dressing up for my husband when he came home and like she talks about getting a you know a skimpy negligee and how that reinvigorated their marriage or whatever and we see jim looking increasingly uncomfortable yeah <laughs> throughout this portion there's definitely a tone like the narration heading as jim was driving up when you hear her reading from the book you, you don't know yet whether this what this book is about and it, it sounds like she's she's written erotica right it sounds mm-hmm. like it's 50 shades of gray uh and i think that the, the there's comments uh a few times throughout the episode that like that's part of what she's doing here she has this regressive uh idea of uh femininity but also she's kind of tying it up with this like uh make it more sexy kind of yeah it's like eroticism yeah yeah yeah. eroticism is a far better term than make it more (laughs) sexy vibe which is (laughs) both thank you both both appropriate yeah 
She ends this portion with saying that true happiness lies in femininity, not feminism. Yeah. You know those militant ladies. They've (laughs) scorned me and ridiculed me. And then we cut to Jim saying, tried to kill you? Right. (laughs) uh, We go right into our our, uh, reason that we're we're here. So, uh, and Louise Clement, she has been receiving threats and she says attempts on her life. Mm-hmm. She says it must be the feminists. You can't imagine the amount of jealousy and resentment my book has stirred up. And most of them know karate. Were you aware of that? Well, you don't honestly think the feminist movement is into terrorist activities, do you? They are trained revolutionaries and they want me silenced. <laughs> yes. She saw Jim's picture on his classified ad. Yeah. And knew he was the man for the job. I mean, he has such a strong face. He does. I mean, he does. She's not wrong. There's, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong here. Um, she says there's been three attempts on her life. They're designed to look like accidents, and the cops think it's a publicity stunt. They're not going to do anything. Jim says there's nothing he can do to help her. He's not a bodyguard, which yes. is a good, you know, classic Jim line in the sand. And a reoccurring theme in this particular episode, yeah. yeah. If only he'd hired Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jim turns down the job. I'm not a bodyguard. You can't hire me to do it because it's not what I do. Classic Jim. Um, while they're waiting for the valet to bring her car around, uh, we see a, a woman with a severe haircut and glasses <laughs> watching them from across the parking lot. She's a Velma in my notes. She, I yeah, just, she, I, yeah, she's very <laughs> Velma-esque. There's an uncomfortable silence while they're waiting. Jim asks if she has discussed this with her husband. And she says, <laughs> well, you know how husbands are. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> She says that her husband is, has convinced himself that these things are all coincidences. And that's when the, uh, the, the, the Velma looking girl takes a shot and yeah. everyone dives for the, for the ground. And Jim hustles her behind a, a pillar. So we go from there right to downtown talking to Dennis. The, the shot, it, my notes, I'm, I'm just like, oh, I remember this one now. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So we cut to Dennis. Uh, he asks if it could have been a backfire. The doorman says it was a backfire. Jim says, no, it was a shot. Um, and they're arguing about that. This was the fourth attempt on Anne Louise's life, and he's a witness. But there's no evidence. No one saw anything. They haven't found mm-hmm. a slug. Um, it's just as likely that it was a backfire as, as a gunshot. Yeah. There's a, there's a bit about, I can't remember the exact term, the exact words used, but like, Jim's like, that was a backfire. Like, what does he know about gunshots? He's like, he's a doorman. He's heard plenty of backfires. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and Louis says, it's someone with the women's movement. It's just like when they tampered with my tampered with my brakes. And Dennis asks, what makes you think that was a woman? It's just the kind of thing they would do. Try to kill me and prove they're a mechanical genius at the same time. <laughs> um, Dennis says, if they bring him something that's actual evidence, he'll he'll yeah. check it out but he can't do anything because there's nothing to go on. And so there's some banter with Jim about getting paid for doing jobs. How I phrase it in my notes is Jim is backed into taking the case. Yeah. We'll turn something up so that LA's finest can go to work. (laughs) And there's this bit from Dennis. that's like, Oh, you won't touch this. So it's my job. Right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Yeah. This is a good Dennis Jim moment. And also that, that, We've got that vital one, too, where Jim turns down the case and then has to do the case. Yeah, he you know, we've talked about it a lot. He has his sense of protectiveness. That's kind of his yeah. version of masculine machismo. Machismo. Yeah, yeah, that's, the, yeah. That's, the, that's the word I'm looking for. Better word than 
masculineness. <laughs> this is why the two of us do the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, his his machismo uh, manifests often as taking care of a woman who's in trouble. Yeah, and so once he has a direct confrontation with the fact that Anne Louise is in trouble, he is willing to to you know help her out. We go to Jim reading Forever Feminine. He's you know doing his research <laughs> for his new client. Rocky comes in. Where's Jim been? He he said he'd help clean out the garage today. Half that junk is yours anyway. So this scene is very funny. We uh, get to establish Jim's relationship to this uh, uh, not genre, but kind of this 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 idea, this um, yeah. this take on on gender roles, right? With Rocky as the sounding board, presenting the quote traditional yeah position uh jim's uh you know describes the book and then says you know she made or she's made two million dollars saying that w- the woman's place is in the home and rocky says well it is <laughs> do you know they tell me that nowadays they even got ladies pushing rigs now that's something i don't ever want to see in all my life tell me what's wrong with taking care of a home and a family huh sweeping nothing, and dusting and, and so on and such it's just a matter of choice rocky all women don't belong in the kitchen any more than all women belong behind the wheel of a semi no women belong behind the wheel of a semi no sir and nothing you can ever say is going to make me think any different they have a phrase for that kind of macho attitude rocky old-fashioned male chauvinist this is a very contemporaneous with the show feminist position right right there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a homemaker but it's about choice it's about having the option yeah my two like favorite bits out of this conversation is a lot of good stuff in here uh but one of them is it, i don't remember if jim's quoting someone or he's just describing the book but it's like part this part that mm-hmm. part kama sutra mm-hmm. and rocky's like what what's a kama sutra <laughs> and jim says it's kind of a how-to yeah it's kind of a how-to book just um, and, but the other thing is when it comes up that women can have jobs, they don't necessarily belong in the home, right? Like they mm-hmm. could go out and have jobs. The first job that Rocky thinks of is climbing a telephone pole, like mm-hmm. repairing telephone wires. And, uh, I don't know. There's just something very Rocky about yeah. it. I mean, there's certainly something very Rocky about him having an opinion about women truck drivers. Right. But in particular, when, when Rocky thinks of a job, he's like, yeah. Like the person that climbs the telephone pole and repairs the 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 wiring up there. Women shouldn't be that. So this might be a good place to talk about the source of this uh, episode, unless you think we should talk about it later. But no, this character, so Anne Louise, is is a specific uh, uh, reference or antecedent. Oh, is this uh, what's her name? Oh, God. I wasn't familiar just from the name, but maybe you are. So it's a very a very helpful section in the Ed Robertson book, 30 Years of the Rockford Files. The Anne Louise Clement character was based on Maribel Morgan. Yes. <laughs> a Miami housewife and author who attracted a tremendous amount of attention in the mid-1970s by encouraging women to behave in a manner that was decidedly against the, fem- the feminist movement. I knew... About this woman, and for some reason, I placed her in the mid '80s, not the mm. mid '70s. Uh, I think because of the Reagan era. But yeah, yeah, that's. I was, I was like, oh, this is before her time, so it couldn't be a reference to her. But it makes, I, it makes absolute sense that it yeah, is. Yeah, this is a, a reference. I, I wouldn't have. I mean, I, I kind of felt like, oh, this is like kind of a pastiche of this kind of person. Yeah, I didn't realize there was a specific person being being modeled here. Doing a lot of damage. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I think it's probably pretty clear from how we've been talking about it so far and also from how Juanita Bartlett talks about it, yeah. which I'm about to quote. Uh, this is a retrograde position. Yeah. <laughs> Morgan's two books uh, suggested that housewives could only find happiness through total submission to their husbands. And among other things, she thought women should try to put sizzle back into their marriages by wearing erotic costumes when they welcome their husbands home from work. Though both books were huge bestsellers, Morgan was soundly panned by critics who found her methods demeaning to women. Others find Morgan's ideology naive and ridiculous. Yeah. Juanita Bartlett chose to address the issue constructively by patterning a character after Morgan and placing her in a situation with the always discriminating Rockford. <laughs> Rockford was and is a no BS guy, explained Bartlett. So if you put him with someone who is all BS, you're going to have fun. Something yeah. <laughs> will happen. They may connect or they may clash. That will be interesting and fun to watch. So I wrote Trouble in Chapter 17 because I knew that Rockford would find a character like Maribel Morgan absolutely repulsive. <laughs> He'd hate everything she's stood for because it was so manipulative. There's no honesty in that kind of a relationship. So given that backdrop, that episode was particularly fun for me to write. <laughs> it comes through. Absolutely. I, you know what? I got to say, I love the um, the playfulness there where she's like, she, she realizes, you know, Rockford plays well against people that are all BS so let's let's mm -hmm. throw this character at him and see what happens, right? Like, yeah, as if she wasn't in charge of what happens, right? Like, you know, like we we all know that experience, right? Yeah. Like, all right, let's roll the dice. Let's, yeah, let's see, see what what's going to going to happen. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the manipulative stuff. Yeah, it's very pointed in our next couple of scenes. But uh, I thought since since Jim and Rocky are specifically staking out Jim's position vis-a-vis yeah. -vis this content, I thought it was uh, worth bringing up that this is a. I mean, all of the writing is intentional, but like. Yeah, there's no winking here. This is a very specific uh, send up and knockback of this yeah. ideology, which I'm here for. Agreed. Jim uh, leaves the trailer. And while he's going to the Firebird, a car <laughs> pulls up. A guy launches himself out of the car and just punches Jim right in the face. Jim doesn't seem to be that stymied by uh, no. <laughs> this blow. Easily turns it around, gets his arm locked up behind his back. Turns out this is Bud Clements and Luis's husband. Mm -hmm. He calls Jim dirty, rotten scum. And when Jim lets him go, punches him in the face again. So Jim finally settles him down with a good gut punch uh, and a what's the matter with you? And we learned that Bud Bud is under the impression that Jim and, and Luis are having an affair. And so right. he is coming out swinging to make Jim leave her alone and, and, you know, get out of her life. And this is where we get the, from the preview montage, you're going to deny you're her lover. Yeah. And Jim says, <laughs> yeah, I'll deny it. Bud leaves. Uh, you stay away from her. I'm going to kill you. And then as he's leaving, he yells out the window, I'll kill you. And Rocky comes out. What have you been up to, Sonny? Not what he thinks. <laughs> yeah. It's a good exchange. It's a good, I mean, like we all love when somebody comes to beat Rockford on his doorstep. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, this is good. It is an interesting uh, dynamic that they're setting up between these two guys mm. uh, because it points in a direction that the show doesn't end on. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually almost the most interesting thing about this episode to me. Yeah. How their story unfolds. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I like about it is that this guy is clearly, um, I mean, I hesitate to use the term emasculated, but that th that's what this fight's about, right? Like he right, punches, right, yeah. it's a no-sell fight from, from Rockford, right? Mm. Like he punches him. Yeah, there's a little bit, but like. J Jim is a better fighter than Bud. Yeah. Like, he, he can take a punch and give a punch better. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this comes out as pure text, but there's certainly implications 
that uh, Anne Louise is setting this up. I think that's what Jim... I mean, that's what the next uh, the next scene kind of covers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because there's something in... That was chapter 17, right? Yes. It is text. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> we cut right from there to Jim talking to Anne Louise. Um, and she's like, why would Bud do that? He must have misunderstood. I, <laughs> I told him that you were working for me. Right. Yeah, he must have not, not understood what I told him. Jim tries to return her money. Uh, I love this detail. He's about $100 short of the advance that she gave him, but yes. he'll, he'll make sure she gets it. Had to renew that investigator license. Mm-hmm. Needed that ca- cash for something. So Jim, again, tries to reject the case. I'm I'm walking away. Here's your money. But if Jim isn't there to help her, she has no one else to turn to. You know, what about your husband? Let me handle Bud. He's just, he's just insanely jealous, which yeah. I noted as a yikes statement to make. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Uh, Jim doesn't handle domestic cases. Well, it's not a domestic case. I promise you, Bud won't bother you again. If he does, you can keep the money, walk away. I won't try to to keep you on the case. This is where, yeah, he has the line where our title comes from. It was just a little misunderstanding. Well, maybe, but I keep getting the feeling that I'm chapter 17 in your new book, The Beneficial Effect of the Other Man on Domestic Tranquility. (laughs) What this kind of comes down to, though, is that Jim, in addition to not wanting to deal with a domestic situation, doesn't have any leads. He has nothing to go on. And that's when Anne Louise reveals that her publisher has a whole file of, of, of threats and crank letters. And Jim's like, well, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> yes. You know, at least it's something. Maybe there's something there. During this conversation, they're interrupted by uh, Daisy, uh, who's clearly coded as a maid, as domestic help. Yeah. Who who arrives at the estate and is telling Anne Louise that she's going to go start on the oven. There's a, there's this, it's not a gag, but there's this ongoing, starting now, there's this ongoing undercurrent of like, of hypocrisy, right? Like yeah. your whole thing is like, being the ideal housewife, taking care of the household, but you have a maid to do your chores because you're rich and don't actually want or need to do your own chores. Right? Yeah. She tries to play it off for Jim's benefit. Oh, we've done enough tests on that oven cleaner. Can you please type up the notes on, on my desk? You know, in my in my office. She's like, oh, your office. Right. She's my <laughs> assistant. Much more than a secretary. Jim, I'm sure she is. Yeah. Everything we get in this episode from her is hitting all of our BS meters, right? right like we're, right. we're, we're, uh, but there's like, she's clearly embarrassed. Isn't the right term because she just wants to hide the fact that they, yeah, that she yeah. has a maid. She's not the domestic goddess that she's, <laughs> uh, presenting herself as. And of course not. Like she's got this whole business that right. is this book and like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it is, it is, is given to us as something that is faintly ridiculous. Yeah. Anyone who thinks about it for two minutes. Right. Would be like, Yeah. yeah. Like, you're always on the road doing speaking tours. Like, of course you have someone who cleans your kitchen. You're rich, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. this doesn't... This is America. This does not... This isn't, you know... This computes totally fine. Yeah. But she has an image that she needs to uphold... That she feels like she needs to uphold for the benefit of others at all times. Even when she steps back and is... I don't know. It's there's a there's a moment later where jim asks her like is she lying you know who are you lying to me or you yourself right and yeah you get a sense at some point that she kind of has a dual consciousness of of her own life right yeah anywho i think there's a subgenre of of episode where it's like okay this story could just be over now but then something else happens (laughs) so um uh, uh they go to her publishers uh and louise introduces jim to to lyle 
There's a bit about offering Jim a drink. He must be tired after walking up those 10 flights of stairs. <laughs> and she reiterates this later, but she never takes the elevator. She always takes the stairs. It's good for the heart to say nothing of the calf muscles. <laughs> uh, and then she goes to walk back down the stairs and then there's a scream and the two men run over and we see her lying crumpled on the landing down the first flight of stairs. I will note, not the aforementioned scream from the mm. preview montage, but a quality, quality scream nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the hospital. We see Billings handling the press. Um, <laughs> uh, they're all asking Dennis what happened, asking who Rockford is. And what Dennis wants to know is, I'd like to know who tipped you all off. <laughs> we know who tipped them all off. Yeah. In her room, uh, so she's her her leg is broken. She has a big cast on it, but the doctor says it's a clean break and it should heal up just fine. I think we come in on Bud ending a sentence saying, it's your money, spend it however you want. And she says like, oh no, darling, it's our money. Yeah. And we get the first hint of their relationship. Yeah. Um, there's banter with Bud and Jim. Um, where were you? Well, I'm not a bodyguard, etc. cetera. Uh, Dennis asks you know, what his version of the story is. And Jim says, I didn't hear or see anybody. I heard her scream, found her unconscious. Um, and Louis says they must have been waiting for her. She always takes the stairs. How would, how would they know that? Well, it's in her book. So Bud tries to instigate Jim, <laughs> like tries to, tries to start some kind of fight, but it's an extremely good thing my buddies are here to hold me back kind of right. situation because Dennis is there and there's there's something where Bud's like, oh, you want to go and starts taking off his jacket and <laughs> and we and we go to Jim, we see him just smirk, just like yeah. We both know you're not going to swing on me right now. Like, come on, what are you doing? Dennis isn't going to let anything happen in this in this hospital room. And Louise is, is ready for the reporters. They've been waiting such a long time. Um, and so Jim, Dennis, and Billings uh, take their leave. They have a walk and talk. Jim and Dennis are talking and Billings is standing behind them. This is important in a second. Um, we finally get some, some on-screen discussion of what we're seeing as audience, right? Yeah. Jim thinks Dennis should check out Bud. He's really not showing much concern for his wife in this situation, just her bank balance. And if something happens to her, he is the one who stands to benefit. Yeah, yeah. there's a motive. I got a hunch. I also got a hunch, Jim. Bone falling down the stairs doesn't make headlines, but getting pushed does. And to a woman like Anne Louise Clement, publicity is like money in the bank. Yeah, you could be right. Of course I'm right. But you could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he He leaves. And uh, I don't know why this is so funny, but Dennis looks at Billings and says, What are you looking at? You? <laughs> my, uh, my notes is QBC, quality Billings content. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just, I also loved it. I don't know why. I, can't, I cannot describe what the comedic timing, maybe? Mm -hmm. it, you know, like there's something in it that's, that's great. That's so funny. So, okay, we got a mystery for the viewers here. Yes. Uh, spoilers, she's faking a lot of this stuff. <laughs> right. I think we're all on the same page of like, she probably is faking all these. Yeah. I mean, there, we did see the woman take the shot, but also yeah. when we see that shot taken, she looks nervous. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about it where it's kind of like, and maybe it's because I'd seen the episode before, but I'm like, is this something that she set up just so that yeah. Jim would think that she was being, you know, like that kind of thing. 
I too vaguely recall this episode, though I don't like recall enough of the details yeah. to know much. But I, one of the things that made me think of it is that she looked very feminist, mm-hmm. like a caricature of a feminist, right? With like had, the severe bangs and the yeah. glasses, yeah. And I think that that's actually not an not an intentional thing to set the. Well, it might be intentional to set the viewers at least into a, a mode where they're like, she might be right. You know, right. that kind of yeah. thing. But later on, when we get introduced to this woman, uh, I think it's just there for this contrast yeah. uh, to, to show off just how how much uh, Anne is not buying her own mm-hmm. medicine. Yeah. But um, my question has to do with the break, mm-hmm. right? Like, did she trip and was like, oh, this is an opportunity? Or did she throw herself down the stairs Mm-hmm. I don't, th- I mean, I, I can't imagine she would just throw herself down the stairs, but she is engineering things and it right. would have been uh, a good moment where there were almost witnesses. I guess that's a little unresolved. Yeah. I guess I my assumption was like, she th- threw herself down just because that seems like the kind of thing that she would, because she's in a position where like, I need to escalate what's going on to yeah. keep this interest. And she could have, like, deliberately not thrown herself down the stairs, but was like, oh, I have to make this look like a stumble, and then actually broken her leg in the attempt. I, that was uh, my but, read, is that, like, the yeah. break is real, because she did fall down the stairs. She might not have been intending to break her leg. Yeah. Like, that was probably not the goal. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the way that is framed for us really is, like, there's no way someone else was there. Because, like, the guys are right there. By the time they run to the door, they would have you would have heard footsteps or someone leaving something yeah. like also they just came up there. Like, are they just hiding? Right. There's not even really space for someone to hide. Like, yeah, Dennis's read seems to be the correct read for yeah. us as from based on what we've seen. Um, but yeah, whether she fell and is taking advantage of falling or whether she, you know, threw herself down. I think that is a little it could go either way. Yeah. Sound off in the comments. Like and subscribe. <laughs> like and subscribe. Hit that bell. Mm-hmm. We are going to take a little break in the middle of our episode here so that we can stretch, maybe get a beverage or a snack, and talk about the other places that you can find us on the internet. Epi, if our listeners want more Epi, where can they go to get maximum Epi? You can find... Uh me at my website dig a thousand holes.com that's dig one zero 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 holes.com or you can get my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worlds without master.com that's worlds plural master singular if you want to engage with me on the social medias the best place to go right now is mastodon at epidia at dice.camp nathan if they want to get maximum nathan where do they have to go for that i should have gone Maximum Nathan. Maximum Nathan can be found at my website, ndpdesign.com. That's the hub for all my stuff on the internet, including all my uh, role-playing games, zines, and other podcasts. Uh, So if you're interested in pro wrestling detectives Mm -hmm. or zines about pro wrestling, (laughs) (laughs) among other things, um, those are all at my website. It also has links to contact me in other ways. Currently, I'm still um, posting on Instagram at Andy Paoletta. That's where I'm posting pictures of my dog. Uh, you can also find me at cohost, cohost.org slash NDP. That is a fun, small scale social media site that I'm enjoying quite a lot. And now we return to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. At the Clements home, Bud is tending to Anne Louise. 
I was kind of interested. So from kind of the, the hospital on, I kind of didn't remember how this episode played out. Like I kind of remembered some of the early stuff and then the rest yeah. of it, I'm like, I don't actually remember where this goes. So that's, which is a nice place to be in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the same with me. Like I, I, re- I remember that beginning moment and that was about it. I thought it was kind of interesting that we got to have a scene where the, for, for us as audience and not from Jim's perspective, because yeah. it's kind of like, oh, we get to see what's really going on. Right. Yeah. But what's really going on is that they have this incredibly toxic relationship (laughs) where Bud brings up grievances and and Louise pass like passively deflects and claims that something else is going on. I talked to the doctor. He said you didn't even need a wheelchair. He told me you insisted on. Of course I did. I thought it would be easier for you not to have me stumbling around the kitchen on crutches. Not that you'd complain. You'd never complain. I just didn't want to be a burden to you. Stumbling around the kitchen, falling over Daisy, our undercover maid, who happens to have been doing all the cooking here in the past two years. Well, you know how I fought about having a maid. It was you who insisted. After you stopped cooking altogether. I mean, a guy can just eat so many turkey pot pies. She uh, deflects as she's kind of glad that it happened because now they'll finally have time for each other after all this time we've been so busy, blah, blah, blah. And Bud just goes, Honey, will you stop it, please? I'm getting sick and tired of being set up as material for your new book. Yeah. It's kind of the, the core of their dynamic. Wishes she would just leave him out of it. How can I leave out the most important part of my life? So I think this is interesting in the context of me being like, oh, we get to see what's really going on. And then what's really going on is she still acts like this, even with yes. the one person who knows for a fact that she is full of BS. Yeah, there, there's no turning it off. She just keeps up the whole mm. the whole act. And also there's almost, there's an element, and this is kind of interesting in how Bud and Jim interact. Part of it, I was like, oh, are they like both kind of in on it? Like it's kind of a... Right. Like his aggrieved husband act is kind of like kayfabe. Like, you know, <laughs> they're both acting for the benefit of other people to benefit her career but then here we see that no she's the one <laughs> as as a wrestling uh observer would say she's the one keeping a kayfabe uh yeah. she's always she's always acting and he, he's trying to drop the act and she's like no <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not well he's gonna leave he has a very important business meeting but tells her to, to call call margin bill over for for bridge and here we see a little bit of just the tiniest bit of why they're married. Yes. Uh, like, this is always a great thing. If you want the audience to care about a relationship that you're showing is bad, <laughs> you need to give us something to understand. Like, how why? did these two get together? Like, yeah. what was going on here? You know, I have no head for cards. Honey, come on. I used to watch you play at the sorority, remember? Why, you're a killer. You go for the throat. <laughs> oh, I know guys in Vegas, you'd leave weeping. Oh, well, whatever you think is best. He not reminisces, but he brings up these these times where he's like, I know that you're really good at this. And it's something that I find exciting. Yeah. It's one reason I was interested in you, because you have this like killer instinct or something. It's like, okay, I I buy that. I see that. And then he does indeed leave for his business meeting. And she just has a big eye roll. Yes. When she's finally alone. But the card thing is great because it, it not only establishes that they that there is a history here and there's a reason why these two are together, but it also establishes that she is shrewd. Mm-hmm. It's not that we don't think that already. Like, we're just witnessing her. But, like, her act could be a little... 
maybe she's naive about who she is. Maybe sure. she's, mm-hmm. you know, like that. But no, what the, the, she knows what she's doing. Right. Yeah. She's playing it, uh, playing it as a little, a little more naive than she actually is. And, and she, uh, because yeah, she's great at cards. She's, she's killed. She's got that killer instinct, right? Yeah. Like she's, yeah. Well, Jim, of course, has the place staked out and follows Bud as he leaves yeah. for his business meeting. Some good drummy music here. He follows them to a house. We see Jim see him unlock the door with a key. And then as it opens, there are there's a couple who's come to the door to, to meet him. A taller guy and a, and a, and a shorter woman. Later, the guy leaves alone, the tall guy, mm-hmm. and Jim gets his license plate number. It's always good when Jim gets a license plate number. But also, clearly, this is not a business meeting. This is some yeah. kind of assignation. We cut back to Anne Louise, who's talking to Marty, the woman who shot at her, mm-hmm. <laughs> who establishes immediately, it's bad enough you had me fire those blanks. You could have been really hurt in that fall. Yeah. And so this is her agent, I guess, or her business manager. Um, I think agent, because later she yeah. says more than just an agent. And she gets like a percentage. Yeah, uh, 10%. She gets 10%, according to this conversation. A painless 10%. <laughs> painless 10%. <laughs> she tells Marty that maybe she did go too far, but she was just taking a leaf from Marty's book and how good she is at business. Mm-hmm. She says not to worry about the police. They, they're questioning all my all the people I work with, just, you know, just in case. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's not a good idea to drop entirely from sight. Maybe we'll do some TV. Maybe the Carson show. <laughs> but do it soon while I'm still in the wheelchair. Walking cast is too clumsy. This is the closest we get to her dropping her act. Like, yeah. even though she still has a bit of the, like, I was just taking a leave from your book. You're so good at business. And Marty's like, okay, whatever. But then they talk some nuts and bolts strategy. And that's like, this is all going according to plan. Yeah, yeah. Um... She tells Marty there's some revisions to her new book on her desk. Uh, You know, can you go get those? So Marty goes into her office. The lights are still off. She's just grabbing a couple things off the desk. But she sits down to, like, shuffle through the papers and find what she's looking for or pull them together or whatever. Suddenly, the end of a rifle breaks through the window behind her. (laughs) We hear the shot and we hear that incredible scream that you love so much. (laughs) Yes. And a dramatic cut to uh, Marty's broken glasses on the yeah. desk. As we were leading up to that, we, until we saw the rifle barrel, there was no, there was definitely a hint in how it was filmed that I was like, my nose was like, I fear for this woman. I was like, oh no, <laughs> like yeah. something bad's about to happen, and it sure does. Jim is leaving his trailer the next morning, and two reporters pull up and ask him if they're <laughs> the first ones there. And if he has a statement on the murder of Marty Bach, who's Marty Bach? That's a quote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the L.A. News. Uh, we, we have a, a good sequence where Jim is watching this televised conference. And then we go to our new characters that we're going to meet watching the televised conference to kind of get us get our new our new characters in here. Uh, and Louise is talking to reporters. Uh, it's a televised thing. She was more than an agent. She was a close personal friend. Whoever killed Marty must have been trying to kill Anne Louise, saw her at her desk and shot the wrong woman, right? Mistaken identity. After all, she's been getting all these threats. They ask about the private investigator she hired and she (laughs) names him specifically Jim Rockford. And Bud uh, specifically says he was hired as a bodyguard. And we see Jim (laughs) just go like, 
So they run down Jim in front of the press oh, on God. television. <laughs> he was being paid to protect Anne Louise while Bud was at a very important business meeting. Where was he? And then we go to the other people watching the TV. It's the couple we saw earlier. Uh, turns out they're a, a sister and brother, Jan and Jack. Yeah, Janet and Jack. Yeah. Jan says to turn it off. Uh, Jack says this solves everything. He's married. He's going to stay married. And so through this conversation, we learn that Bud and Jan are having an affair. Jan is his secretary. Mm -hmm. Jack is Jan's brother who recently came out to like stay with her or whatever and wants what's best for her. She needs to look at this clearly. Bud loves his wife's money. He's not going to leave, leave her. Jan says she shouldn't have told Jack about it at all, but they don't have secrets from each other. He just doesn't want to see her on the short side, and he wouldn't like that, yeah. which is also ominous. When they <laughs> introduced these two, I was like, uh, this one has a cast of thousands. Because <laughs> like, just, they just, you know, mm-hmm. felt a little bit out of nowhere. But then I was like, oh, right, these are the two from the house, Bud's business meeting. And this is the guy who who left early. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Gotta think about that. Hmm. We uh, go to another Jim and Anne Louise scene where Jim is confronting her about this newspaper article, quoting all of the things that she yeah. said, running him <laughs> down. She doesn't know what he wants from her. Think about how she feels. Someone tried to kill her. I took a sleeping pill. It didn't do a thing for me. I, I couldn't turn off my mind. That's a strange reaction. Strange? What's so strange about it? Well, somebody took a shot at you at the hotel, you bounce right back. Then somebody pushes you down the stairs, you're just as perky and saucy as ever. Now all of a sudden you start to unravel. Well, I, I, I suppose it's a cumulative effect. Well, let's just suppose it's something else, Anne Louise, huh? So Jim tries out the theory that he's developed, which is that Bud was starting to slip away from her. And that's bad for business. So she tried to keep him, yeah, keep him around using sympathy with these faked death threats. And when that didn't work, she went for jealousy with telling him that she was seeing Jim. You know, and that didn't work either. They're both trying to save their careers. Is a line um, in there, and she says, "No, I'm trying to save my marriage." Well, in your case, that's about the same thing. <laughs> so she then has like another round of like. Again, maybe this is true. Maybe it's another story. It's hard to say, right? Yeah. Where she's like, I will confide in you, but if Bud ever finds out that I told you this, it will destroy him. He's so fragile and <laughs> proud. Like, okay. Um, but after the publication of her first book, he developed a physical problem. It wasn't his fault, but things started to get more difficult. And Jim's like, what? He was impotent? <laughs> you men, you just come out and say it. <laughs> You know, he's, he's getting fed up with her, right? Come on, lady. You set up the game and someone else capitalized. Mm-hmm. Who stands to inherit? It can't be Bud. He's welcome to the money already, which is fair, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I think there is that is a problem with that thesis that he already is, you know. Yeah, Bud's what we have so far. Bud's uh, trouble with the relationship is is specifically trouble relationship trouble. Right. Like it's it's not like he married for money. She got the money after they got married. Mm-hmm. Uh, they themselves are just having a lot of problems, right? And and none that raise to the point of murder, mm-hmm. right? That we can see. Although Bud is a bit of a hothead, like he he came at Rockford, and I think, and I'm thinking here that the other thing is that of anyone who was going to wait for her to go into her office, Bud would know 
that that's not his wife. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Those are two very different heads. Right. Like maybe he hired someone, I guess is yeah. maybe where you would go with it. But yeah, I'm so I'm, and since we have this other couple in play, I keep calling mm-hmm. them couple since we have th- these two other characters in play, there's another twist here somewhere. Yeah. Their conversation turns to, um, well, you know, are you trying to say there's another woman and Jim wants her to give him a break? Uh, you're trying to say this isn't about Jan Avery. But secretary, you're not suggesting that they're having an affair. And Jim has a wonderful point. Like, you got it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So good. You've got this lying thing down so good. It really is hard to tell when you're being straight with me and when you're not. Yeah. And we end the scene on a very strong pair of lines. There is no other woman in Bud's life. Well, there's one less in yours. Marty Bach. Oh, so cold. So cold. Uh, The only... Other thing in that scene I want to point out is the great line from Jim where he says, you play some nasty games, lady, and 200 a day doesn't put me in one of your team shirts. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. We go to Dennis talking to Bud, uh, interviewing him about where he was during the murder. <laughs> he reiterates that he was at a business meeting. It's it's fun to see Dennis being a cop like, yeah. as opposed to being Jim's buddy or, you know, right, right. Jim or something. We have a report that you entered this residence. He's like, who told you that? Rockford? <laughs> I forget what he says, but he's like, the, the origin of the report is incidental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is fantastic. <laughs> um, but yes, that is his secretary's house. They're working on cost analysis, and they often meet there to do business things because it's more convenient for both of them. Um, and then he kicks Dennis out, says any further questions can go through his attorney. After Dennis leaves, Jan comes in and wants to know what the police wanted. And Bud says that maybe you should go on that Caribbean cruise we've been talking about. Yeah. But maybe you should go by yourself. Just for a few weeks. Maybe a few months. (laughs) He wants her to leave until it all blows over. He can handle Anne Louise so that she doesn't find out and leave him or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But he doesn't want her to get caught up in everything. So maybe she should just get out of town. And uh, so he says, I can handle Anne Louise. And what about Rockford? I can handle Rockford. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to Jim at the taco stand. And those of us who are paying attention go, (laughs) uh uh-oh. Wonderful banter here with uh, him and and Sam, the taco stand proprietor. This is, I feel, kind of a legendary scene. Like, Mm. yeah, there's the just great lines like, build me another one and go easy on the lettuce. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's asking him about like whether Sam is using a different kind of sauce. Yeah, different kind of hot sauce. And he says yeah. the customers were complaining about it being too hot. And Jim's like, <laughs> "I'll tell you when your hot sauce is too hot." Yeah. If you're going to keep working out here, I'm going to charge you rent, like all that stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, bang! Shot goes right into the taco. <laughs> A surprise to some of us. <laughs> a surprise to some of us. I guess it's hard to tell whether he the taco is actually shot or Jim kind of throws it because he's surprised right. and is diving to hit the deck. Um, but either way, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 extremely it's a it's very sad. It's a very sad moment. Um, everyone is okay except for that poor yeah, taco. That poor taco. Wonderful, wonderful scene up up there with the um, the hot dog, the hot dog stand yeah. <laughs> with the accountant guy. And, yeah. Uh, oh, that was a good one. So good. All right. So, of course, Dennis is uh, has responded to the scene. Can't even eat lunch anymore without someone making a target out of you. 
Uh, Sam, the taco proprietor, wants to know who's going to pay the damages. This kind of thing happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) He's had a bottle of hot sauce in some of his finest china. Knock it off, Sam. Put it on my tab. That's like saying, forget it. Okay, then forget it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So he tells Dennis in more detail, I guess, about seeing this other guy leave that house. Maybe he was paid to take out Anne Louise. And since Jim saw them together, now he's a target. Dennis is saying, think about his perspective. The department's under a lot of heat. Newspapers are saying that we failed to act on threats. And Jim has a really uh, a good line. If bad press could put the cops out of business, you would have folded a long time ago. And that is an amazing line. And he does give Sam some cash to cover the damages and mm-hmm. tells him to keep the keep the rest as a tip. <laughs> Probably not enough. Probably not <laughs> enough. We then go to Jim in a neckerchief. <laughs> so good. So good. His usual disguise is a pair of glasses. Yeah, yeah. This is like, we'll see him in just a moment without it. The the change is so little, but it's so much. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, a, he's artistic now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess this is the first time we get any sense of what Clement's, what Bud's work is. I guess he's an architect. Yeah. Or a, or like a construction manager or something. Something. Jim comes comes into his office in the Snickerchief. There's a, a a secretary who is not Jan at the <laughs> front desk. Yeah. And Jim says that Mr. Pay made the arrangements. He has a appointment as an I am Pay, the architect. Names <laughs> I forget what it was, but you know, at the time he would have been known for a certain building, and like now he's known for other buildings. But yeah, uh, that's a, a name one one might reasonably expect your audience to know as. A famous architect, or yeah. as they as they are called in the business, a star architect. <laughs> this whole time, I'm like, this is not a disguise that Clement's going to be fooled by, right? Not that Jim wears the kind of disguises that fool people. Like, it, you know, what's going on? But oh, he's out. Yeah, he's called out to to a site, but he'll. I don't know when he'll be back. He's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, Mister Pay's airplane is warming up on the runway, and I have an appointment. He's like, well, I'll call him. <laughs> I'll get him back here. You can wait in his office. And so I think that's what I was like. Okay, Jim arranged. You know, he made yeah. a call or something. He he ma- he constructed this so that Clement would not be in the office when he when he arrived. Yeah, uh, he goes in and, and and pokes around, and we go back out to the outer office where Clemens comes back, and he says. There was no problem at that site. Yeah. I didn't have my plans and I called to check and they said they never called me. <laughs> so he comes in and sure enough, surprises Jim and Jim hears them talking. So Jim's yeah. like, okay. So he comes in, sees Jim. I think the secretary is like, oh, I never got his name. And Clinton <laughs> says, I know his name. <laughs> he, he, he's gone through the trouble of taking the, the ascot off, the, yeah, yeah. the nickerchief off, like, which is exquisite like it's so just funny. like haha I was <laughs> jim rockford all along if it weren't for you meddling kids yeah i would have eaten that taco <laughs> so they get to have some some face-to-face banter he says so you're the one who finessed me out of here huh and jim's like <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he calls for the police uh you know breaking and entering or whatever and jim says you can arrange for adjoining cells yeah for what murder one there we go so he confronts Bud with what he saw when he followed him. And Bud says, well, that was that's Jack, uh, Jan's brother. Seems good to hire to kill your wife. I didn't hire anyone to kill my wife. Uh, they've been married for 15 years. Well, 15 years ago, she didn't have $2 million. Bud gets slightly confessional here. Yeah. He's like, okay, fine. Our marriage has been on the rocks since she started that book. Obviously, this, I mean, this is the root of the problem, right? 
But like he is ready to unburden himself of this uh, issue. And Jim is not only in need of uh, some ex- explanation, right? Like because he's being he's going to be accused of well, he's being accused of murder one, right? But also Jim is a convenient stranger who knows enough that he can finally unburden himself too, right? right? Well, and my note is Jim kind of gets it to BH. Yeah. His attitude is like, you know what? You're like, I hear you. Yeah. I'm not her husband anymore. Now I'm research. She looks at me like she was looking at a bug stuck on a pin. She watches and then she writes everything down. Jim's like, I, I've met Anne Louise. I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But if there's anyone you want to kill, it's Jim. Um, Jim floats. What if... The brother, Jack, decided it would be better for everyone if Anne Louise was out of the picture. You'd end up with the money. Jan would end up with you and the money. Mm-hmm. And you think he wouldn't help his sister out with that deal. So we cut from there to <laughs> Bud talking to Jan at her house, telling her about the conversation he had with Jim. You know, he thinks that Jack wanted to kill Anne Louise for all these reasons. Uh, do you think I should tell Jack? You should. He should be prepared because <laughs> Rockford's going to come after him. And, and he's paranoid. And so then he very specifically tells Jan that he followed Jim, saw him pack up his bags and go to a little house in the valley. <laughs> I think a family member. The name on the mailbox is Joseph Rockford, as if he's going to be safe there. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm here being like, okay. Yeah. For whose benefit is this slightly stilted conversation? conversation? <laughs> yeah. Is it for our benefit as the audience? Or is he telling Jan because he knows she's going to tell Jack? Right, right. Is is he setting up something? Yeah. What is is he engineering the situation? Yeah. Which I assume he is because generally I don't feel like we get those for the audience stilted right. conversations. Yeah, it's not a usual Rockford file deal. We go to an ominous shadow over Rocky's mailbox, and <laughs> Jim is just sitting down with his TV dinner when there's a knock on the door. And indeed, it is Jack Avery. I think we better talk. Jim says, no offense, but I don't think that's a good idea. And he closes the door. And that's when Jack, who's a very large man, Mm -hmm. kicks it down and then jumps in with a gun. And sure enough, Bud told Jan and Jadon told him Mm -hmm. about the whole thing. But we're not in it together. Jan's a born victim. She never learned how to make the most out of a situation. And Jim says, maybe she's smart. On the other hand, I get the feeling you're dumb. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, when it's all over, Bud ends up with the money, Jan ends up with Bud, and I end up with as much as I want of a nice piece of change. Jim says, well, I already told Becker what I know. So if you shoot me, they'll know exactly who did it and they'll come right for Mm -hmm. you. Did I say anything about shooting you? You're going to take a nasty fall down the cellar stairs and break your neck. Nobody would believe that. I'm known for my grace. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, the way Jim is dealing with him. Very confident. (laughs) Very confident. And uh, like to the point where I'm like, oh, okay. Jim has set something up (laughs) here because this is. He's usually a little more cautious about people with guns. Yeah. If he thinks he's actually in danger, he's trying to de-escalate the situation. But right now he's actually escalating the situation. So clearly he must have a plan. (laughs) You know, Jim says, give me the gun. He takes a step towards Jack. Jack gets kind of a panic look on his face. And pulls the trigger and it just goes, click. Tries again, click, click. And Jim says, maybe it's still under warranty. And that's when Bud steps out from the kitchen with his own gun. I was I was legitimately surprised. I did not expect this particular twist. The When Jim said, maybe it's still under warranty, that was when I was like, okay, 
I don't know how Jim did it, but mm. Jim messed with his gun. And then when Bud stepped out, I was like, oh, but then why does Bud have a gun? Like, that doesn't seem like a thing that Jim would mm-hmm. would would have him do. Turns out it probably isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Bud steps out from the kitchen and Jack's like, you set me up. He's like, no, he set you up. But I helped just by filing down your firing pin. Yeah, because <laughs> we all know how to do that. Yeah. Um, he confronts Jack. Jack grabs for his gun. So that ends up firing into the air as they struggle. And then Jim pulls him away, gets a good punch across his face, and he's down. Right in my TV dinner. <laughs> Jim can't catch a break with his dinners. So the implication here that we get to fill in for ourselves is like, Jim and Bud's conversation continued on for quite some time. <laughs> right, right, yeah. They came to the agreement that it was probably Jack here who did it, and there's a way to set Jack up uh, mm-hmm. so that they can they can catch him. I gotta say... Jim owes Rocky for bullet damage now. <laughs> like, why choose Rocky's place, Jim? And his door. And for yeah. his door. I guess it's to see the to make Jack think that Jim He's gonna get the drop on him yeah. or Yeah, or something. Because he says like he's paranoid, he thinks someone's out to get him. Yeah. And so he went somewhere else. Yeah. And that's like so he's like running, but clearly he went to a place that's easy for to find for you know, to find him. Yeah. Yeah. We go to our final scene where Anne Louise is giving another interview for the for the television reporters. She presents Jack as a poor, sad psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what about uh, his statement that your husband and his sister were having an affair? He's like, well, you can't believe anything that a man like that says, (laughs) Uh, but he deserves a fair trial. Mm -hmm. So magnanimous of her. This tragic affair has brought her and Bud even closer together. Uh, she does finish with one more thing. She showers Jim with compliments about his <laughs> his work for her and states that he's the one who brought Jack to justice, probably under pressure from him, one would right. imagine. And I think the the reporter even says, like, but you're the one who told us. like, Right, right. We were just printing what you yeah, said. Yeah, we were just printing what you said. And Jim comes in at the end to be like, and you're going to print what she said again. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, the gaggle breaks up, um, and she says in another one of the few glimpses of how she really thinks, I think her new book will be published in six weeks and all this publicity ought to, ought to boost sales. Yeah. But she is going to, it's going to be a lot of work. She, she needs to make a lot of revisions about how Bud and her were drawn together in this trying time. And that's when the door opens and Bud is leaving the house with a full suitcase and says, now, don't worry. Daisy's on the way to take care of you. Mm -hmm. But where are you going? I'm not really sure. Well, is it a business trip? I mean, I don't understand. I know. (laughs) And she is aghast. Doesn't he know what that's going to do to sales? Jim? Yeah. I don't think he cares. Uh, What about us? What about our marriage? What am I supposed to do? Rewrite the last chapter. And then we freeze frame on Anne Louise's face. In my notes, I say, as she will probably just do that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it lands pretty hard on her, mm-hmm. uh, deservingly so. Um, yeah, it was a fun episode. Uh, I'm sorry that I missed the taco in the opening montage. No, I think it's good. I think you got to really experience the visceral terror yeah. as as intended. <laughs> Going through it again, uh, Jack is maybe a little under motivated. 
uh, it, it's not clear why he would. I think we're supposed to get that he's so protective of his sister. Yeah. Right. And he has the line about like, she's a born victim. She never. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't know how to take advantage of a, of a situation. But, like, he's the one who takes advantage of a situation. Yeah. But I think there's something maybe just about the actor where he's a little blasé. Yeah. Because, well, that doesn't play in too well with him just leaving the house. Like, if he's protective of his sister, we already know that you can beat up Bud. Right? <laughs> right. Like, like he should just beat up Bud. Um, he's like, I want you to be happy, but I also want you to be clear about what you're into, which is yeah. you are, I mean, you are the side piece. Right. Like that's yeah. kind of, he's, he has, he tells her, you have to understand he's not going to leave his wife. Yeah. And she's like, you don't understand how we feel about each other. And he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. I, I don't disagree. I think I see in the writing where the motivation is supposed to come from, but I mm-hmm. think the presentation isn't really um, that convincing. But uh, yeah, uh, a lot of fun. One of the good ones. <laughs> One of the good ones. <laughs> Something I mentioned earlier that I wanted to kind of touch back on is that I think the the journey of Bud is actually kind of the most interesting yeah. thing. Uh, especially my feeling about him where I went from just loathing this total jerk to right. in that final scene being like, good for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's interesting. Cause like, um, like we were talking about in the beginning, our introduction to bud is that he's uh, ineffectual at trying to beat up Rockford. Uh, and he doesn't have all the information, right? Right. Like, and so he's, he's, uh, he thinks that Rockford is having an affair with his wife. He's being led to think that. Uh, and then, so he's going to, to beat him up and he just can't, he just like, he's out of his element. Uh, and so it's a little pathetic. And so it kind of does a good job of convincing me that Bud is somehow responsible for what's happening. Uh, and then it, yeah, it definitely turns around near the end. Uh, and then you get this whole thing of like, oh, yeah, th- this is just kind of a bad situation that he's in. He's been led by the nose left and right. Like he's he's not uh, he's not an agent in any of this. Right. Yeah. If He's also kind of I mean, victims too strong a word. But yeah, he I mean, I think earlier you said he didn't want to call him emasculated. And I think that does have a connotation that is not correct for this character. Right. But yeah, he is his agency has been severely reduced in his own life yeah and you know no one wants to feel like a prop i think that's very understandable mm-hmm. so even though i think you know he is clearly a hothead and maybe an unpleasant person to be around i you know i'm all for autonomy right and for him yeah. like making the strong move of like i'm done i've tried like you yeah. get that sense is like he's tried we saw him have the earlier conversation with um and louise uh he, he specifically tells her how he doesn't like being the example of her books. And like, mm-hmm. you just get that feeling that she never gives him any kind of assurance that things will ever be different. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Him kind of being like, this was, I mean, may the last straw or maybe just like having a little bit of context <laughs> for what things could be like without her. Maybe he's like, I'm just going to give that a shot. Yeah. All the conversations we see with her, like you were saying before, like every conversation we see with her, with Rockford, she's lying to him. Mm-hmm. And we can see that. And we're like, oh, okay, Rockford, she's lying to you. But with him, she's lying to him and he's not lying back. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he's not participating in the fantasy. And it seems very frustrating that she's still presenting to her husband who knows for a fact that all of this is is fantasy 
as if as if it were real. And yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I was unexpectedly taken with how I was like, OK, like my my personal journey uh, over the episode was not one I would have anticipated of feeling sympathy for this guy. So, yeah, uh, good. Good job. Good writing there. Good, good acting. And I think there's something I thought about earlier. I don't remember if I mentioned it. So I'll just say it again now in case I didn't, which is that, you know, I think we'd, we were talking about the the, the woman who Anne Lewis is modeled on and, and everything and how it's kind of a it's a it's a reactionary, you know, position ideologically. Um, I think this episode is a good a pretty good example of like, I don't know, there's 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 a trend or maybe a, a, a theme or a vein of criticism where it's like because you included this in your fiction you are tacitly acknowledging or you're tacitly giving it air giving it air yeah 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 yeah. uh which is fairly easy to argue against i guess but this episode is a is a fine example of a writer creating a character who is interesting and engaging to present the opposite viewpoint to how they actually feel in order to show in this case, not why it's uh, not why it's a harmful viewpoint for a society or not why it's, you know, has some larger societal impact, but more like, look at the kind of person who right. acts this way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a hollow viewpoint. How? Yeah. How hollow is this person's life? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a power to that portrayal of something yeah. you consider to be bad that I think is done very well in this episode. And it's not simply a villain character because she's not really a villain. No, she's uh, in the beginning. She embroils Rockford in a con that she's running on on the public and, and her husband, I guess to some extent. And then by the end, she's a victim as well, but like, she'll be fine. Right. You get that (laughs) sense. Like she'll be fine. Um, which is its own issue, I guess. But like, yeah, I don't know. There, there's something about like, uh, I think it was it was it was validating to read the quote from yeah Juanita. Uh, from Juanita just to be like, yes, what I think this episode is meant to be is exactly what she set out for it to be. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, I did not have to interpret that. Like, that is in fact what she wanted yeah. <laughs> me to, to take away from it. Um, so that's yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. I agree. It's a good um. Hmm. I was going to say there's not a lot of like mystery and there's not really uh, it's a good episode where it's like just learning about the characters and seeing their dynamic is most yeah. of the episode. There's not really a lot of like mysterious plot that needs to get unraveled or anything. Yeah. Yeah. But it's satisfying. I think it's a satisfying amount of twists and turns. And I was legitimately surprised by Bud's role in the final reveal. So, uh, yeah, that's all good. All good stuff. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, it, it had, um, yeah, its purpose was mainly about the the facade mm-hmm. of this this fiction that this woman has created. Uh, but the there was enough mystery there to keep us going. And, of course, the taco scene. And, of course, the taco <laughs> scene. A new, yeah, an instant classic. All right. Well, I think we have uh, hit all the high points for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um Anything else about trouble in chapter 17? No, not until the book comes out. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how that 17th chapter reads. Yeah. Well, uh, with that all said, I suppose we'll say, say goodbye. Thanks again to everyone for leaving uh, feedback on our shows. Um, Yeah. Always appreciated. We will be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockford Files. 
Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>